of Jesus. Good morning again. Well, Greg kind of beat me to it, but I wanted to say thank you again to everybody who came out and helped us with our Gus. Which one was it? 33rd, 45th, 78th annual? Yeah, I don't know. We, we think it's third, but he was, uh, he was the DJ, and he kept saying, hey, great that everybody came out to our 97th or 33rd, whatever it was, anyway. But I think, um, I think we had over 300 people there, so it was really, it was really awesome. We had, did anybody judge trunks? Okay, we forgot about that, sorry. But that was one thing that we were supposed to do. Anyway, so uh, I'm opening up a new series for Scott. Scott is, uh, and his family are out of town. And um, uh, talking about blessed, and hopefully what I'm going to do today is remind us of what that really means. And um, because sometimes I think that maybe we get that term, or, or we, we use it a little lightly. Uh, I don't know that we always give it its full, full meaning. Um, how many of you were here, and I want to show a hands, how many of you were here 30 years ago for the very first blessed to be a blessing man we've got a few all right uh janet uh, branham found some pictures katie's gonna uh, kind of run through them but if you remember this not, not not 1989 i'm not sure exactly when they were but remember that we used to we used to come in we'd bring our sacks that very day uh we would bring them in with us and we would set them in the pew and uh, the pews back then were a lot closer than they are now, and so you had to really maneuver uh, coming in and out. And the bag would break. The handles were notorious for breaking off. The bag would break, and the cans and everything would go everywhere. You were crawling under the pews trying to get them. Uh, anyway, at, at some point, uh, during, either during the sermon or right after, the elders would come up to the front, and then they would start receiving all of the, uh, the, the stuff that we had brought. Okay, uh, And then when church was over, we would, we would uh, ride along here in the front. Of course, now the stage is obviously extending more out. But I think actually there's one picture when the stage was still way back here. And it didn't even go out there. But we would set tables up all along here. And on one side, people were going down and they were taking everything out of the sacks and putting them on the tables and putting them in order. And then on the other side of the table, everybody, other people were taking the sacks and filling them up, making sure there was one item in each one. Uh, then from there... We migrated to the, uh, I think, yeah, there's the tables. Um, we migrated to the fellowship hall where there was another crew. That, that's, where all the, that's where all the sacks that were prepared. They'd go to the fellowship hall. And then there was another crew in there. Hey, Bob, see yourself there? You look kind of <laughs> a lot darker there. There was another group uh, that was filling um, boxes with or, or sacks with uh, with uh, fruits and vegetables I think one year we did milk then we added hygiene now we're, we've added meat but anyway those, those early days were 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 really great there was a lot of energy there was a lot of enthusiasm which there always is on blessed to be a blessing sunday and there was also a few of those people who were a little anxious about going out and and taking a food box of somebody they didn't know uh, how we got the names i have no idea but our goal for that year was 100 families and we got 100 families uh, served. Uh, by the way, our goal this year is 250, uh, and that doesn't count. There's another 150 that we'll take to Christian Village. But uh, as of last Sunday, and I know some people have already picked them up again, but as of last Sunday, 54 different family units had picked up 110 boxes. So that means there's 140 boxes left. So you need to get out there and get your box. 
Uh, and if you are physically unable to fill a box and you would like to help financially or you'd like to help financially anyway, a box costs about $40. So you can leave that donation back there at the table with them. Anyway, so we would head out all over town delivering our, uh, delivering our goods. And once you got past that initial moment of, of uh, going to that door and not sure what was going to happen, chills would just come over you. Do you remember those first? Do you remember those times? Uh, to see the surprise on the people's faces and the gratefulness in their hearts and the smiles and the hugs, and especially when you walked up on somebody that didn't have anything. I mean, literally, they didn't have anything in their home. And then it hits you. Man, I just made somebody's day. Or I just brought some hope back into somebody's life. I just blessed someone. What a blessing for me to let God use me to bless somebody else. What a blessing for us to let God use us to bless somebody else. And then, and then we'd gather back, maybe sometimes that same day, uh, but also the next couple of weeks, and we'd just be talking about everything that had happened and all the stories and sharing different things. And it was just, it was good. It, it was a warm feeling. It was, always, it was always great. I've asked, Clayton, are you here today? There you are. Come on up here for a second. Clayton's gonna, Clayton has a unique perspective. Were you, how old were you in, eight, in 1989? About six months old, okay. Well, he doesn't remember the very first one, but he remembers some of the, some of the, uh, I've asked him to come up because he has a unique perspective. He's been here most of his life. He participated when he was a child, and, and now he's participating as an adult uh, and with his own kiddos. So just, just give us a quick, brief little, um, you know, a couple of minutes, just kind of your thoughts on blessed to be a blessing. Forgot about that. <laughs> yes. Great. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. So what does it really mean to be blessed? What does it look like? All my life, I've been fortunate to travel and live in other countries. 
I grew up in Italy, some, most of y'all know that, and just recently was able to go back after more than 40 years of having been there, but I was able to reconnect with some childhood friends, uh, run, run through uh, uh, some old stomping grounds, and, and it was great. I've lived in San Jose, Costa Rica. I've lived in Montevideo, Uruguay. I've visited Mexico and other South American and Central American cities. And most recently, because I have a son in the Navy who keeps asking for overseas assignments, uh, I've been able to go to Japan, uh, and since he married a girl that's uh, Turkish, uh, our, our, our other precious daughter-in-law, the other one sitting right down here with my son Micah, um, we've had the opportunity to go to Turkey, and uh, hopefully just next year, he's in Bahrain now, we'll have the opportunity to go to Bahrain. Um, so some people might say that I've been blessed uh, to live in or go to all of these places, and I won't necessarily dispute that. However, I think we're missing the point a little bit, or not fully embracing what it literally means to be blessed, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Typically, I fear, or maybe I should say limitedly, if that's a word, I fear that when we think of blessing, we tend to reference it in relation to good fortune, a desired outcome, or comfort. And this isn't bad, but is it a bit skewed or maybe watered down? How do we feel or what do we think when we find ourselves in circumstances where that or where we fall short of the blessed life uh, that we expect? The reason I listed all of those places is because, with very little exception, and by exception I mean maybe differences in housing, home style, or, or vehicles, or food, I see the same things there that I see here. I see people living in houses or apartments. I see people walking on streets, driving cars, riding public transportation. I see people eating at restaurants. I see parents playing with children at the park. I see kids walking to and from school. They have TVs, movie theaters, supermarkets, and malls. And they have paved streets. Boy, the, paved, the, the streets in Okinawa put the streets in San Angelo to shame. You know, we, I'm glad they're finally working on some. But, but if blessing is simply all of the things that we have, then from my vantage point, everywhere else that I've been, people are as equally blessed. Now, I know there are places in the world that don't look anything like this, and there's a lot of places that are worse off. So does that mean that they're not blessed? Or does that mean that they're less blessed because they don't have everything, all the privileges and amenities that we do? So, a couple of misconceptions. I think all too often we confuse blessing with gifts or material goods. If we only see blessing as something we receive, we have a very narrow and shallow definition of what blessing truly is. Blessing, by definition, and I'm going to unpack that in just a little bit, is something that passes on from one to another. We say we are blessed to have a car or to have a home or to have children or freedom or whatever you want to call it. While my car may certainly be a blessing to me, it's more of a blessing when I'm able to use that to bless someone else. So if I give somebody a ride or if I give somebody a tow or if I jump somebody off because their battery's dead, then that's really more of a blessing because I am using it to do something for somebody else, to help somebody else, to make somebody else better. To not share what you've been given is to end the story rather than keep it going. To not share what you've been given is, the, is to, 
sorry, to not share what you've been given is to end the story rather than keep it going. Number two, blessing is given to everyone. We live in a culture that says our value is tied up in what we produce. We are given rewards for doing good. Is blessing something we earn or merit? How difficult is it for us to bless or treat someone nice that we don't think deserves it? It's hard. But just as God's blessing is upon or available to all, we cannot pick and choose. Walter Brueggemann said, The blessing of God has its way whether we are attracted to or repelled by the object of the blessing. And then a third one is we often say that God has blessed us when something good happens or when we are experiencing happiness in a relationship or good health or financial success. But as I mentioned earlier, if we are not experiencing these good things, are we not still blessed? Are, are blessings transient and unreliable? Blessing is not based on circumstances or events, but upon God's word. Blessing is not based on circumstances or events, but on God's word. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first four verses in just a minute. But first, I want to kind of give you a, a sort of a summary of what happens between chapter 1 and chapter 11. So, creation begins, great, great promise, God has breathed life into his creation. He's pronounced all creation good. Adam helps in naming all of the creatures, and God gives him Eve. Um, they don't have a care in the world. Their only job is to just enjoy what they have and, and just relish in it. Then things go bad because they do the one thing they're not supposed to do and God punishes them for it. And so they're cursed. Genesis 3.14 says they're cursed and they're forced out of the garden and nothing comes easy anymore. Next thing you know, Abel kills Cain out of jealousy and he's cursed for his actions. Genesis 4.11, and this, this is the actual word used in, in the text, cursed. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, human mischief has gone universal. And once again, God responds with a curse. Chapter 6, verse 7, by wiping out everyone and everything, save one family who gathers up a couple of all the animals, uh, in the of all the species that are around. But even with this universal purge, things don't change. In chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, God says, I will never again curse the ground because of human, humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Okay? So God realizes that man is, is just, there's something wrong. There's something in, in inerrantly wrong. So by the time you get to chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, humanity's kind of come full circle again. They're doing the same thing. They're going to build this big tower that's going to go up. They're playing God. And once again, he responds with punishment and curse. And he changes their languages and makes them speak different languages that they can't understand. And he scatters them all over the place. That's chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. So punishment and curse do not seem to be working. It doesn't, doesn't, whatever he does, they just continue to do the same thing. So what's left? Well, 
if you go back and read closely, I think we can see a glimpse of his plan in each one of those situations. Because what does he do when he, when he expels Adam and Eve from the garden? He gives them clothing. What does he do after he curses Cain? He puts a mark on him so that no one will kill him. Because if they did, then they would be cursed seven times over. Obviously, he didn't destroy everything and everyone. He saved Noah and his family and the animals. Are these not signs of God's grace? Do you see how God's grace is already beginning to work? Although God punishes, his ultimate purpose is to bless. And you really can't appreciate a blessing until you realize how bad off you are. Things look pretty bleak. Chapter 11 goes on to list a genealogy, so-and-so begets so-and-so, etc., etc., etc. And then rather nonchalantly, in verse 30, everything's been good up to the writer says, and Sarah was barren. She had no children, which in that day and time was the end. That was a death notice. Hopelessness. So, with the hopeless status of humanity in mind now, let's read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So chapter 11 is the conclusion of what scholars refer to as the primeval history. And then these four verses in chapter 12 are actually referred to as the hinge pin, if you will, between sin and grace. In these verses, we have one command and three promises. The command is to go. God tells Abraham, go from your country, which is in essence asking him to leave his family, his kindred. Why can't he just stay put? I wonder why couldn't God just bless him there? How much more blessed, though, would he be if he takes a risk? So he's asking him to leave everything. He's asking him to, to, to leave his family, to leave his security, everything that he knows. And he's, he's telling him, go. Now, I don't know that we think of it in this way. But how risky was it for God to leave heaven and come to this earth as Jesus? And I think that was very, very, very risky. Not just because he got killed. What happens if no one takes advantage of God's gift of salvation through Jesus' sacrifice? It was all for naught. When have you stepped out in faith and gotten way more than you expected in return? How many of you, the first time that you delivered one of those boxes, was nervous, but you did it anyway, and you walked away feeling way better than what you started out because you got some, so much more in return. Sometimes it pays to take a risk. It always pays to take a risk for God. Now, if the command underscores what Abram has to put at risk, then the promise reassures him that God will provide abundantly. So promise number one, I will make you a great nation. Now, the, word of the, use, the use of the word nation here implies that the promise will have ongoing consequences beyond Abram. It's not just about Abram, 
God's plan is always bigger than what we can see at the moment. Something that we struggle with oftentimes with our faith. But promise number two is, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, a great name involves a heritage. And yet Sarah is barren and they don't have any children. So what's God doing here? He's beginning to shift the focus. He's shifting the focus off of them and onto himself. The future, the possibilities lie with God and not with them. The center of the promise is seen in the repeated use of the word bless. I think it's five times that he uses the word bless in these four verses. Now remember that in Hebrew, you don't have a bold typeface or italic. You can't underline. So the way that you emphasize is you repeat. So this repetition here tells us that this is something very, very important. And this promise of blessing becomes the foundation for the rest of the story all the way up to us today. The Hebrew word that's used here is barak, B-A-R-A-K. Barak literally means to kneel or to bow the knee. And so it's, it's something you would obviously do to God, you, to, you bless God, you show him respect and authority, and it was something you would also do to somebody who had greater status than you, whether it was uh, a, a king or, or somebody, any, somebody that was better than you or, or, or had more status than you, then you would bless them, you would, you would bow down to them to show them uh, that you were respecting them and giving them the honor that they were due. So God promised Abram that he would no longer curse humanity. Not going to do that anymore. It doesn't work. But instead, I'm going to offer an opportunity for reconciliation, a way to make things better. And how is he going to do this? Well, he's going to do it through Abram. He's going to do it through Abram and Sarah and everyone else thereafter. Not only are they the recipients of the blessing, but they're also going to become the agents of the same blessing. God will bless them and their purpose will be to bless others. And isn't it just great? Isn't it just awesome that God has what God has, after all we've done, after all humanity has done to disappoint and displease him, that he still chooses to cooperate with us in his creation, with those that he has created and has given us the responsibility of mediating his blessing to the world. For ancient Israel and for all of those of us who have been grafted into the chosen through baptism, the whole point of God's blessing or, or of being God's chosen ones has to do with God's decision to use us as his agents in order to bring blessing to the broader human family that mostly knows trouble and curse. So blessed to be a blessing is what we're all about. You want to know what your purpose in life is? Bless God and bless others. And then the last promise is, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, God connects his blessing upon Abram to the blessing of other people. Do you remember the parable of the rich fool? It's in Luke chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 13 through 21. I'm not going to read it, but you can go back and look at it. But basically the gist of that parable is there's this farmer, 
and he has a bumper crop, uh, but his barns are too small to store all of the grain that he harvested. And so he decides, well, I'll just tear down my old barns and I'll build bigger, newer barns and I'll be able to fit everything in. Well, that's a great idea, don't you think? You know, wouldn't you do that? Well, what happens? Jesus chastises him. He rebukes him because of what he did. And he calls him selfish and greedy, basically, is what he's saying. Because how dare you, who have been given so much, not share with other people in your own village that don't have? That's, that's, that's what we do. We are given so that we can share with others. To not share what you've been given is to end the story rather than keep it going. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We've been freed from the curse of death. We need to share this blessing with others. To not share it is to end the story. We're blessed because God made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. That blessing commands us to bless others, to show respect and honor to those who don't have what we have, especially salvation in Christ. When we bless others, we direct God's blessing or God's goodness to them. We intercede for them. We stand in the gap for them. We're blessed to be a blessing. I was talking to Harold Brothers earlier this week, and he was on the committee 30 years ago, the Benevolence Committee, when they came up with this program, and I said, how'd y'all come up with that name? And he said, you know, I honestly can't remember, but doesn't it just make sense? You know, we're blessed to be a blessing. Just as Clayton was saying, this box, it's not just a physical item. It's not just something that we're putting some goods in and we're going to take to somebody. It becomes a spiritual item because it becomes an opportunity to take something, to show love, to show people, hey, there's still hope. There's still people in the world that love and care. There's still people that want to bless. And it may just be the avenue that God uses for somebody to choose Him. We're blessed to be a blessing. Monty, the elders are going to be around uh, the perimeter of the building. If you need anything, please go to them. I'll be right down here at the front. But let's stand and let's sing as, as um, Monty leads us.